podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Good evening. It is Monday evening. That means it is time for the Monday Night Euro Review Show on the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, my name is Rory and I'm joined by my very good friends. Going to start with... Adam and <laughs> Ben, how are you doing, guys? How is everyone? Uh, I'm all good, man. How are you doing? Yes, all good, especially after especially after that result yesterday. I was about to say, have you calmed down? You calmed down from the result? I don't think I have, actually. I know it was only a draw, but I actually I don't think I have. It was just so much more than that. But it was, mm. yeah, yesterday was an incredible day of peak, peak Barclays, wasn't it? So it was sure we'll get into 24 it. <laughs> goals across five no. games absolute insanity i was very glad i picked sunday as my designated day for football um adam mm. how you doing man i'm very well thank you a uh, bit of a calmer weekend it has to be said i think uh wickham wanderers are starting to piss me off so i'm gonna permanently kind of have that in the distance at the moment uh whilst we, we uh, need kind to of talk deal about the goalkeeper issues. We haven't talked uh, about yeah, the goalkeeper. Yeah, I did oh share God. with uh, Ben about the St. Pauli goalkeeper. I think that is better shot. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think that tops uh, it. Max, Max, Stri- Max Striek, I don't know what he was doing. He's done this kind of uh, gamesmanship, shall we say, where he leaves uh-huh. it to the last minute for the attacker to kind of try and get like a foot in. And on this occasion, he grabs it, but then he gets bundled to the floor and then drops the ball. So, um, as you can imagine, scenes are Barnsley take the lead with like a minute of normal time to go. So, uh, we were absolutely gutted at that point. But less about the Wickham, let's talk about yeah, football we'll in general. <laughs> we'll move on. We'll move How on. How was your weekend, you Rory? Um, yeah, pretty good. Um, Arsenal made me nervous at the end, but we got there in the end. Um, the Alex's game was postponed, unfortunately, against Bristol Rovers. But if we do beat them, we get a nice trip to Carrow Rose. So fingers crossed. Um, the third nice. the third round draw was made. Some tasty ties there. Northeast Derby. Liverpool got fucking Ars- Arsenal. got fucking Liverpool even um, straight out of the hat. But yeah, um, not a bad weekend. Not a bad weekend at all. But we do have lots to cover today. We're, of course, going to start in the Premier League. We're going to start in Manchester. It was in Manchester, right? Um, as Tottenham yeah. got an incredible draw against Manchester City. Uh, so, Ben, you'll be able to bask in that. We'll be talking about madness at Anfield in what was a game that surprised me and I think many others with a seven-goal thriller. We'll be talking about Manchester United and um, their saviour appearing um, on television to, re- to rescue the day. Um, and then we'll be finishing with a little bit of... Um, well, just a general roundup, Aston Villa, a bit of chat about Arsenal maybe. And mm. then, of course, we'll be going to Serie A, where Inter made it look easy against Napoli. Um, and Pioli lives to fight another day, uh, which is yep. the most predictable thing ever. Uh, so we will be talking about that. But let's start, Ben, let's start down in Manchester, as Spurs love playing in Manchester. They just love Manchester. Why is this? It's incredible, isn't it? We just seem to have this weird hoodoo over them now and it's just like it's ever since that Champions League quarter final mm-hmm. they've not been able to beat us or they've beaten us a couple of times I think here and there they beat us last season but even then they did their best to fuck that up we were 2-0 up in that game <laughs> and they came back and won and I think that was almost like weirdly the turning point for them a little bit last year it was kind of like that was a real wake-up mm-hmm. call but this year again it was just like this game it just always delivers. Year in, year out, there's some form of drama. There's always something happening. It's never a dull game. Whoever comes out on top, and again, it was us who kind of got the upper hand, really. And it was a crazy, crazy game. And I kind of 
weirdly felt a little bit optimistic going into the game, just purely partly because of that mm-hmm. insanely bizarre record that we have against them, this weird hoodoo that we have over them, but also just like that um, confidence from Ange Postacoglu to kind of like go balls to the wall and say, this is what we're going to do, even though it makes you nervous in the sense that it could have gone the other way and it easily could have in that game. But as a fan, I think it just gives you that little bit of kind of the shot in the arm you need before those big games because it was kind of a free hit for us, really. We didn't really have anything to lose. The only thing that we could have potentially lost was a little bit of dignity if we got beat four, five, six. And, you know, that didn't that didn't happen. And um, it was, especially second half, I thought it was an incredible performance. And I think we'll look back on that result and performance, really, at the end of the season and say that was really... We've kind of had moments in games in this kind of difficult run where we've looked back at that. We, we thought we would look back on it and think that's really where Ange kind of, you know, put his mark on the team, even in kind of that those difficult moments. But I think that game will do that as a whole. It's just like we'll, be, we'll look back at that at the end of the season. I think it was a really kind of proud result to look at. But um, yeah, City will be kicking themselves again. It's just like... And I think that was almost where I'm sure we'll come on to the Simon Hooper. <laughs> we will talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think that was kind of where obviously you saw Haaland at the end. And I think, yes, obviously there was a lot of frustration born out of that decision. But I think part of it was kind of exemplified even more by the fact that he missed two or three really good chances in the first half to kind of kill us off because mm-hmm. it was a 20 minute period, 20, 30 minute period, really, kind of before half time where we, you know, they could have put us to the sword and they didn't. Yeah. I think that's almost where that frost, like that frustration gets born out of even more. But it was brilliant. It was, well, this is, sorry, this is something I wanted to ask you about because going into the end of the first half, as you said, like Ange Ball wasn't really working, right? And I, like the commentators, I was getting bored with hearing them scream out like, Ange needs to be more pragmatic. He needs to be more pragmatic. This isn't going to work. Yeah. Now, obviously at halftime, he brings on Hoiberg for Brian Hill, who I think had a pretty difficult evening all round, to be honest. But do you think this is a bit of redemption for, for Ange? Because... Even though he did, he had to bring someone into that midfield, but he still didn't change his principles and he still got the result. He still stuck to it. Do you just think this is redemption for him? Yeah, massively. And I think, you know what, I was kind of thinking about this earlier about the whole um, Carragher Neville thing. I wasn't watching the game at home, I was watching it in a bar. So the commentary mm-hmm. was quite quiet. So mm-hmm. there was people you could sort of see on social media and like it was sort of flying around in like some of the Spurs, like WhatsApp groups, I mean, about what they were saying, but we couldn't really pick it up that much. Yeah, it was yeah. only kind of when I watched the game back and then saw some bits this morning that you could really hear what they were getting into. And I found it really funny that there was one, um, I, I can't remember whether we were two one down at this point or not, or maybe it was still one all, where there was a move out from the back that we put together, starting from Vicario that led to Brian Hill being on the counter-attack. Where Jamie Carragher mid like move was like Tottenham, you know they basically they need to they need to get it like they don't, can't be afraid to just hoof it or get rid of it. And then we play this lovely move straight through the heart of Man City, and he's like, well, "That was great football, actually." It was just like <laughs> yeah, was so that funny. was like that was poetically beautiful. It, it was, was incredible, so comedically yeah, yeah. timed. And you know what? I like I like Jamie <laughs> Carragher, and I think that I get why him and Neville were saying it because you know they've kind of come from that old school, like you know. The defenders as well. I think they've been in those situations in those games where they're under that pressure in Manchester derbies or Merseyside derbies or whatever it is where the other team's getting on top of you and kind of, you know, you have to resort to clearing your lines. But it did get quite boring. And it was just like, mm. it was so evident that Postacoglu wasn't 
going to, you know, he obviously did change it, like you mentioned, by bringing Hoybier on, but it wasn't a reflection of a change in principle. It was just a tweak in kind of shape. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you mentioned Brian Hill. It's like for all of Brian Hill's kind of endeavour, which will get, you know, the Tottenham's endeavour will score them an extra 10, 15 mm -hmm. goals this season because you have to be brave and to do that. But also that endeavour with a player like Brian Hill sometimes with that physicality can only really get you so far. Mm -hmm. And he obviously really struggled. And he was up against Kyle Walker, to be fair. Yeah, like There was yeah, one yeah. bit where Spurs were on the counter-attack and it was a really good opportunity. And it was just like, he just it was like a man against the boy, wasn't it? He just brushed him aside yeah. and caught up with him. And it was just mm -hmm. like, I feel for Hill because I think there's a real talent in there, but it was mm -hmm. definitely the right change to make because that was the, I've, I've not once wavered about Ange whatsoever. I've, you, I mm -hmm. mean, you guys know I've been incredibly pos positive about him from the start, but like, there was periods in that first half where it was just getting a little bit like you're watching kind of it through your eyes at one point. It was just like, or like through your fingers, sorry, like almost like behind the sofa because it was just like, this could get ugly. But I think I said it to my like mates in the group chat. It was like, aren't, there is some fair criticism of Ange going on here in commentary, but what is he supposed to do? Yeah, but yeah. then again, he like, he pulled that substitution out of it at half time. And Hoybier's one of those players that split, splits the fan base quite a lot. I think people see him as this sort of industrious player that, you know, works hard and shows pride for the badge, but hasn't really got the quality. But I think he really he really struggled in that first five or so, five, ten minutes when he came on. He, I think he misplaced the ball like three times. And it yeah, was. Yeah. I think that led to Bernardo Silva having that shot where Vicario tipped it over the bar, which was a really good save. And there was a couple of other times where he just looked sloppy. But after that, he was brilliant in that second mm -hmm. half. He just knitted everything together really well, was positive, and it was a brilliant change because it just allowed Tottenham to have a little bit more shape. And yeah. I think it allowed the players that then affected the game massively in the second half to thrive a little bit more with Kulusevski and Lacelso obviously getting those mm -hmm. those two goals. So I think it was, like you said, I think it was a real... And you could sort of see it in Ange's celebrations a little bit. He didn't go too crazy when the goals went in. It was almost just like he's got that confidence in himself. It's like... You know, we've not nicked a result here. It's just like no, no. this is what we set out to do, and I've and I've done it. And it was just that kind of li little fist pump to himself was just kind of that almost nod of self assuredness yeah. about him of just yeah. like no, I came. This is what I wanted to do. I've came here. Obviously, I wanted to win, but I've done like I've done it. We've not lost. We've mm -hmm. come back uh, twice in the game and showed resolve, which you know we we've not seen you know, anywhere near anything like that in the last couple last year or so at Spurs. So yeah, so proud of that team again. Mm -hmm. And I think like Dayan Kulusevski is just a player that I just think like is so underappreciated in this team. I don't necessarily think by the Spurs fan base. I think like by maybe people outside of it, because people see him as like, you know, he's a bit slow, like he's a bit one footed. It's like his work rate mm -hmm. and desire is absolutely faultless. And you can never like to, for him to score that goal yesterday, yeah, it came off of his shoulder and it wasn't the cleanest of headers, but like to do that in the last minute of the game to show up in those moments to keep because he, I always say it like Ange always because of like the high intensity, high pressing football that he likes to play, we obviously have to make a lot of changes in the game. And it's always the attackers like Son and Johnson or Richardson, whoever starts, will usually end up coming off about 15, 10 minutes to go. Kulusevski plays 90 minutes week in, week out for Spurs. I think he's averaged 90 minutes across the whole season. Mm. He's only been substituted a couple of times. And he just got that endeavour and that quality. And I, yeah, I absolutely love him. I was so pleased for him when he scored that goal. Yeah, well, he's a player that was really good for Palmer. He obviously struggled mm. at Juve a little <laughs> bit, but all attacking players struggle at Juve. And it's good to see him actually <clears throat> doing really well. But there was one like last question I wanted to ask you about Spurs as well was... 
do you think now that Ange is the right manager for another reason of the fact that like Lo Celso and players like that, it kind of, it didn't work and they got mm. lost. Right. But now Lo Celso is having to be played because of injuries, because whatever else, but you've also got a manager that's able to coach them, has the patience to improve them. And maybe some of these players that we thought might be on the scrap heap might be able to come back in. Like, I don't know how many Spurs fans expected Brian Hill to get starts this season or Lo Celso. <laughs> right. But do you think like Ange will be able to kind of improve this squad more? Hundred percent. I think we really saw, you know, Ange kind of came in in the summer with this idea of like a uh, clean slate for everyone. I want to have a look at everyone, and then basically, if you don't impress me or you let me down, those the players that have left Tottenham are the real players that, like Ndombele, that he didn't think he could get anything out of. And people yeah, yeah. will talk about the likes of Eric Dyer and say, why is he still here? But Eric Dyer has obviously shown him something. Yes, you can say about his contract situation; it's easier for him to stay and all that. But you know. Lacelso was a player that he quite openly talked about in preseason. Was like he's going to get chances mm-hmm. during the season. He's impressed me. I've always liked a player like him, and I think it was a, such a strange one with Lacelso because he is always, again, a bit like um, someone like Hoybier has always split the fan base. So I remember there was a real period, almost like a honeymoon period, that Lacelso had in those kind of few months before lockdown when Mourinho was the manager, and he was our best player. He was just mm-hmm. like who is this guy that we've signed? It's just like, he had everything. He's got that tenacity. He's kind of got that, like, not sound too much like Graham Souness, but he's got that kind of typical South American sort of like yeah, yeah, yeah. fighting kind of instinct in him. Like, I, I think I said it, I can't remember I said it on here last week or somewhere else where I feel like he's been constantly like misprofiled at Spurs since he's been here. I think mm. when we brought him in, it sort of, he came in at a time where uh, Ericsson was on the way out and we kind of needed that number 10 and, I think a lot of people expected him to be that. And obviously he's popped up with two goals in two games now and shown real quality for both both goals in kind of almost Ericsson or Madison-esque finishes, really. Um, so I'm I'm really pleased with him. I think he showed yesterday. Again, I think he struggled a little bit in the first half. I thought Basuma really struggled as well to kind mm-hmm. of get, get a grip of that midfield. Yeah. And I don't think that helped Lacelso. And I think Hoybier coming on allowed Lacelso to have a bit more of a platform and a bit more freedom in that second half. And he just did everything really well and took that goal brilliantly. But I think you're right. I think, you know, there's still players that we haven't seen anything of under Postecoglou yet. Someone like Ryan Sessegnon, who seems to be a bit of a forgotten man at Tottenham. I know he struggled so much with injuries, but it kind of makes you think, well, if Postecoglou could get a tune out of some of these players who arguably maybe didn't even want to be there, there was rumours mm-hmm. about Lacelso. He was unhappy at Tottenham, not just because of the game time. Like he wasn't, there were even rumours coming out, I think last summer, that he wasn't particularly well liked within the dressing room either. Okay. And all that mm. kind of stuff. It was just a bit. There was mm. almost like this. There was always this cloud over Lacelso, but you can kind of see it, like in his body language and stuff when he's playing now, and all of the stuff that's kind of come out of his camp, even since the start of the season where he wasn't getting minutes. Madison was playing, and Lacelso, I think he struggled to get up to speed a little bit at the start. Had a couple of injuries, maybe here and there. He's all. That's one of the other problems with Lacelso is that he's always kind of struggled with injury. But um, yeah, his his kind of attitude has completely changed. I was really pleased with him. Like he took that goal with such quality. Yeah. It was a great yes, hit. It was it was yeah. genuinely a really, really great hit. But we do need to talk about City. And Adam, I'm going to go across to you for City. We said it on the last show. Man mm-hmm. City are get at It feels yep. like there's a chink in the armour. Um, I love seeing City angry. I love seeing their players pissed off. Um, it was... They were in such a commanding position in the mm-hmm. second half. I feel yep. like... Like, Tottenham... Like, they did play really well second half. But I felt like... City got a bit lazy, but because they mm-hmm. were such in such control, why do you think this year they seem to be letting this stuff slip? Is it just three titles in a row, the treble? Is it that simple, or is there something a bit 
missing from the squad because they seemingly have everything. I think there will be naturally that hangover from that kind of treble season anyway, because I was saying to actually a friend, those teams that have had or achieved trebles or big achievements as a club, they tend to struggle the following season to follow it up and be consistent. And I think what was interesting about this match was how they were very reliant on Doku to be kind of the outlet for. So a lot of the time they were trying to get the ball as much as they could to Doku to do the attacking kind of outputs for Man City. And I think what, what has been quite common across the last few games for Man City is they just haven't been as clinical as they would mm-hmm. normally be. And when you look at, say, for example, the first goal as well, where Son obviously takes it fantastically, whilst the goal kind of screams off Edison, I do feel Gvardiol again is being exposed at that left-hand side. And I'm surprised that Pep has kind of stuck to his kind of assurances and still wants him to be kind of that kind of marauding left-sided centre-back. But I just don't think it's working. I think he's much more comfortable in the centre rather than being on that left-hand side. So it'll be interesting. I think that's a pet thing that he needs to grapple with personally. Um, but I think it's just those chances. That if they'd taken those chances in the first half, as Ben kind of alluded to, they probably would have lost 4-5-1 potentially. Um, but as it is, they gave Spurs an outlet. They kind of mm-hmm. made sure that they were still within a chance of winning or getting into the game itself at times. So I think from that point of view, that's where... They just haven't been as consistent. It's just the fluidity in terms of their style of football versus last season. Um, I would say some performances this season haven't been as up to par as last season as well. So I think across the board, I mean, the obvious one is Haaland, right? I think obviously his chances that he should have taken. But I, I kind of go, he's still young. He's still learning. He's still maturing. So I think that he's got that on his side. But he's going to be highlighted and more magnified than ever because these chances look seemingly very easy and they should have maybe taken at least one of them. So it's it's an interesting dilemma for Pep because I don't know necessarily if he's ever experienced that in his coaching mm. career, especially across like Barcelona when he went through that transitional phase with them as well. So I think this is going to be interesting to see how he approaches it. I think he's going to stick to his guns a bit like Ange has. Uh, and, you know, stick to that philosophy. I think that's the way you breed that confidence. And you can see that's how it's working at Spurs, for example. I think there is going to be that bit of pragmatism that I think he will instigate, but I think he's not going to change the personnel very much. I think he might just tweak the way they play things. And I think that's necessarily how they're going to do it. Obviously, they're the best at possession. And if you look at the XG, for example, yesterday, far outdone Spurs, but Spurs were more clinical. That's the yeah, difference, yeah. and that that is why they get at the ball, as you call it. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I'm really surprised that Nathan Ake hasn't been brought in to replace Guardiola mm. at this point because I feel like Ake had such an incredible season last season. He was genuinely one of those like just City always have these random players that are just really good, like a Kanji or whatever. They're not the big names, but they're incredible. Yeah. Like Gundogan, I felt was that for a while, and Ake last season I thought was outstanding. Oh. So I feel like I'm surprised he's not come in to replace Guardiola, but. I'm all for it because it's giving someone a chance, chance at yeah. running at something. And between Arsenal and Liverpool, we need to be capitalising as much as we can while yeah. he figures his shit out and just try and get like 10 points clear while we can because it's the only way it's either of us are going to win it. Um, but we're going to leave that game there. Incredible scenes. Um, really, really enjoyed that. Lovely way to end a, a goal-mad Sunday. 24 mm. goals in five games. And we're going to look at 
Brent Alexander-Arnold at the double at Anfield, technically at the double. I think the first one was <laughs> cruelly taken off him yeah. as an own goal to Leno now, I think. But it was an incredible free kick. Um, this game was unbelievable. It was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Um, Fulham have gone from a team who seemingly were struggling to score. And yesterday, <laughs> it looked like every time they got forward, they were going to score. Like Now, we'll talk about Liverpool's defence, but... Um, Adam, I'm going to start with you first. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like Silver's starting to turn it around with Fulham? There seems to be a bit more promise. It looked like they were getting sucked into... I know they still lost here, but the the performance overall showed a lot of promise, right? I think there's something in between that answer, right? So I think they are definitely improving. Um, one of the things they did was, I think they're a bit more kind of reviewing their opponents a lot more to understand where the opportunities are, especially Anthony Robinson on that left-hand flank seemed to expose that kind of gap that obviously Trent left. But this is the thing, they seem to be also much more clinical in the final third, which was something that I think they've struggled for the majority of the season. If you look at the game against Wolves, they looked quite you know, on it, I would say. They looked like they were going to take the game to their opponents. And I feel like they've just followed it up Granted, they've lost this game in the fashion that they've done it as well. I suppose, look, the wonder goals in that respect. Oh. So any other time. And if you look at the record of Liverpool, I was looking at this earlier, they've got the best home record. So that's a fortress. Anfield, we know it can mm. be quite intimidating, but that is a fortress. They've not lost there. And it's been wins. It's been all yeah, purely yeah. wins there. So it's going to be very difficult for teams to go there and get a result, I would say. Um, even if it's a point, that is an achievement in itself. It's unlucky that Fulham pull off that performance and still don't come home with any points. Um, I still think they'll reinforce um, because, you know, I don't know what's happening with Paulinha, but it feels like that is going to be an eventual move for someone, whether that happens in this window or another. But I think they're going to climb up the table now because I think mm. there's a few clubs that we'll probably mention later in the pod that are starting to slip now. And I think that's where they're going to make that momentum. I think the interesting match will be, I think it's Wednesday night where they take on Nottingham Forest. Yeah, yeah. And that's the game we'll probably talk about later, Rory. But mm-hmm. th- that could be a massive game for both sides in terms of the way their trajectory goes. Because, yeah, as we'll allude to, Nottingham Forest not in a great place. But mm-hmm. Fulham need to win those kind of games to really push themselves up as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I was really impressed with him. I think there's one player, not just because he's ex-Arsenal, but he did really, really impress me. And I thought he was fantastic while he was at Everton as well. But Alex Awobi in this game, mm-hmm. I never saw him as this number eight midfielder. I didn't see him as a number eight. And he's just... The way... Like, Fulham were really good the entire game at just getting that sw- switch across field and just catching the Liverpool out of position. And Awobi constantly just held the ball like managed to buy himself a bit of space, get that pass off. And he was just a really good outlet the entire way through the game. I was really impressed with him. I'm really happy to see him doing well. And I feel like Marco Silva really, the game plan really worked. But Ben, I'm going to go to you for Liverpool. This reminded me of Arsenal last year, getting emotional wins at the last minute, like pulling it out of the bag, but lots of issues. Um, I feel like their defence, every time a cross came into the box, they looked pretty... Um, shaky, despite the fact they've got the second best defence in the league. Right? Do you think there's a, there's an issue there somewhere with Liverpool, right? Fulham were able to pinpoint a weakness. Yeah, to use your phrase, they are they are get-atable as well, aren't they, Liverpool? Mm-hmm. They are 
there is kind of a bit of a blind spot, I think. It's crazy to... I feel like there's been a lot of kind of misleading stats in the Premier League this season. I think that is one of them about Liverpool's defence mm-hmm. because I think there's been games, even where they haven't necessarily conceded three, two or three goals, where they might have either kept a clean sheet or conceded one, for example, that they have been suspect. And I think, obviously, it didn't help on Sunday that they had no Alisson as well, who... Yes, made a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we saw Kelleher was at fault for probably at two? least one of the goals, yeah. maybe two as well. Like it was just, and you feel for him, he's being chucked in. It's not, you know, it wasn't a massive game for Liverpool, but it ended up being a massive one because of Man mm. City dropping points and obviously having to keep up with Arsenal. But it does make you think that when, I know they, I mean, they kind of got away with it a little bit at City as well. Although I thought they played well at City and I thought mm-hmm. their game plan worked to a T. Again, a bit like Spurs at the Etihad, it could have been so different. So I think there've been games where they've kind of got away with it and yesterday looked like one of those games where they weren't. And then again, that individual quality that they do have, they've got match winners all across the pitch. And Trent is one of those players that just kind of exemplifies that. But Liverpool, there is a weakness there. And there's always been, ever since Van Dijk came back from that injury, they've not looked yeah, the yeah. same at the back. And it's not all down to him. I just don't think they've had that necessarily like uh, togetherness, even as a unit. Mm. I mean, even the, 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 um, the year they went toe to toe with City again, for the title after lockdown, when Van Dijk was back, they still gave teams chances. And Man City do it as well. Like you look at Leipzig Mm -hmm. in the week, obviously Spurs put three past City. Like those teams, because of the kind of football that they play, kind of makes me more worried about Arsenal because although Arsenal don't necessarily look to have the same fluidity going forward this year, they look far more solid at the back. And I think Mm -hmm. what people always say, it's defences that win you titles, isn't it? And I think that could be Liverpool's undoing. But on the other hand, I think what Liverpool have got, I think exactly like you said, it kind of feels a little bit like Arsenal last year where they're having these moments in games where it almost just makes them feel inevitable. And Liverpool yeah. have always had that at Anfield. Like they've always, mm-hmm. it was only really, I think that that lockdown season where they they lost remarkable, like it was like five yeah, home yeah. games in a row or something, wasn't mm-hmm. it? It was like uh, kind of unprecedented for them. That might not be the right number, but it was definitely a lot. Yeah, it yeah. was more than they kind of ever had. And But I think when you've got, the individual quality of someone like Trent Alexander-Arnold, even when you know someone like Salah's maybe having like a bit of an off day, or like the, the attack doesn't seem to be quite as you know potent as it has been in recent weeks. You know they still score four goals and still won the game. But I was in, I was really impressed with Fulham as well, and I think they are clicking. And I do think it's kind of um, almost reflective of the fact that, or maybe the other way around, that the, the table's starting to take shape now. I think in the Premier League, and I think Fulham. Over the last couple of weeks, I know they were a bit lucky against Wolves to get that with the you know decisions in that game, but you know they are starting to find the answers. But I think the thing that makes Liverpool so dangerous is that I've kind of said this from the start of the season. They've got answers all over the pitch when it comes to scoring goals, mm-hmm. and Trent just yeah. exemplifies that. I think so. I didn't realize that first goal got taken off of him. That's yeah, so it's cool. really harsh. It's really harsh. harsh, but it like hits the bar <laughs> and then hits the keeper, and like yeah, yeah. it's always really unlucky. But you know that second goal to pop up in that moment. You know, they just equalised. That was a quality goal from Endo as yeah. well. That's kind of gone under the radar. Unbel- like, unbelievable. Like, um, unbelievable. When he came on, Endo, he looked amazing. I think loads of Liverpool yeah. fans are slowly starting to be like, this guy needs to be starting because he looked incredible when he came on. But yeah. I've just got to say, for that Trent Alexander on a goal, it feels like a long time since I've just seen a player throwing their arms yeah, out, going mental. It, <laughs> yeah, it gave me it. massive. Do you remember the Steven Gerrard goal against Olympiacos? Like, yeah, yeah beauty. Yeah. Yeah. It gave yeah. me the massive vibes of that incredible hit. Um, in the Predators as well. It was yeah, so, like, exactly. so like Stevie G, wasn't it? Exactly. It was just like... Absolutely beautiful. Um, but yeah, and I think 
Klopp there, one thing that another edge that they kind of have over Arsenal or an edge they have over Arsenal is that they've got Klopp as manager. They've been there. They've done it. They've mm. got that experience of like, look, we can do this again. And I think we, we, you kind of see him. We've, we've said it before. This is Klopp 2.0 at Liverpool now. This is the team that he wanted. They're looking for that one more, that one piece. I think they're still in midfield. They need a little bit more solidity and a centre-back at some point. But they're getting really close to what he mm. wants. Um, and it was an incredible game from them. Unlucky for Fulham, but Liverpool, what a game. I really, really enjoyed that. Um, we're going to move on to the next game because I'm aware of time. And we're going to go to Eddie somehow finds a squad and gets a 1-0 win against Manchester United. We haven't really talked about it on the pod because we don't really like to give Newcastle props, but Eddie Howe is he's performing miracles with the fact they've got 13 players out injured, I think it is at this point. Nick Pope has now gone off injured as well because, you know, what's one more? But somehow they are still keeping this form going. They've still got three wins in their last five. Okay, Manchester United are shite and we'll get on to that. But... <laughs> Adam, he's doing an incredible job, right? And Newcastle, this was a 1-0 battering. Like, yeah, this yeah. should have been so much more. Should have definitely been more. And I think that's, again, that kind of telltale sign of that philosophy that is embedded into the players. I mean, it's one thing that they've got certain players that might not have the skill range of the others that are currently injured, but he's built in that kind of determination, that grit. And um, the fact that you've got young players like Millie coming into the fold as well and just yeah. going to plan, going to articulate what he wants to achieve on the pitch and he's dominating the, the midfield. And I think it's, yeah, as you said, they battered them. They absolutely battered Man United. And I, I think it would have been really unlucky if they'd gone away with a point, right? If Man United walks out of there with a point. And I'm glad that goal was disallowed in a sense yeah, because, yeah, <laughs> The, there's many reasons why, but I, I think that you know raises a lot more questions about Man United and Ten Hag. Obviously, in terms of what happens next now, it's going to be interesting because also Man, uh, Man United had a longer rest period compared to Newcastle as well. So mm. that plays a huge part in terms of the way this game also played out. And yeah, it's just the attitude of certain players for Man United really did stink on the night. I I, I, th I think it, the fact that Man United were pinned in for the majority of the game in their half tells you all you need to know. And Ten Hag didn't seem to even do much on the sidelines. He, he was quite happy with his no, And he so just passive. sat there doing nothing. So it's so bizarre. I mean, um, but we have to give props also to Gordon, Rory, because again, <laughs> right. I need there's to a big question there. there. I thought he had gone for so much money and Newcastle had been like mugged in the broad daylight. And I thought this guy is just pace, nothing else. He's just living off the fact that he can do 100 metres. But Ben, he's he's making a massive shout for the Euro squad, right? Like if he keeps up this form for the season, because he's now, I think he got player of the month, right? Or maybe it was Newcastle's player of the month. But yeah, he's been incredible, problems. scored in a lot of games at home in a row. I don't have the number to my head, but it's been impressive, right? Yeah, he's been super impressive. I was kind of the same as you. I always liked Gordon, but I did think it was quite steep in terms of the fee. Um, but it was one of those ones where like, I always felt that he would do well at Newcastle, even if it didn't immediately kind of click because they haven't got much... Their recruitment has been pretty spot on ever since Eddie Howe's been there. And I think it seems as if they kind of... Yes, they've spent a lot of money on certain players, but it kind of feels like they only buy... The, they're not buying players for players' sake. They're buying no. the right player with the right attitude. And I think there was always like, 
a lot of stuff thrown Gordon's way about maybe being petulant or whatever it was. Like, I never really saw that. I always saw, I remember watching him. There was a game where Spurs beat Everton handsomely. We beat him like 5 0 a couple of years ago under Conte. It was when Lampard was the manager mm. this season, the season they escaped relegation the first time. And they were dreadful, absolutely dreadful. But the one bright spark was Gordon. He would just, I remember what it was one of the, it was probably, I think it must have been the first time I'd ever seen him live i've seen him on tv for and certain things but it was the first time i would ever seen him live in a game and i was he stood out by a mile and that was always kind of reflective of where everton were at that point mm. but i always thought there was something there um in terms of the euros definitely if he carries on playing like this bearing in mind you know we've been clamoring for raheem sterling to get back in there's probably not a better yeah. informed winger in the country than anthony gordon right now and he's just got like i think what i really like about him is that like you kind of alluded to it about you maybe thought that he was all just pace. And that was kind of one of the things that I thought about him. But I think he's become so much more refined in the last like few months. It's just like he's so composed in front of goal. I know that was a fairly simple chance to tuck away, but he's always arriving in those positions. Those are the goals that he's been scoring for Newcastle, just being in the right area at the back post, you know, and like you saw him, he gave Wan-Bissaka a torrid time yeah. a lot down there. He's just got such a sharp, he's quick anyway, but he's just like, a bit like Doku, he's kind of got that just explosive burst mm. where he'll just like slow you down, slow you down, stop you as a fullback and then just go past you. Like he's got that and I, I really like him. But for Man United, it's just like, I was looking at it earlier, Ten Hag's record against, I think it's the current top it's nine so in the Premier League. He's not 1-1. One, one. And the only point that he got was against Spurs last season. Of course it was. <laughs> Even in that game, they were, it was when Ryan Mason was the manager and they were 2-0 up at half time. Yes. And we were, it was like, we'd just come off the back of that 6-1 battering at Newcastle, mm. like, heads, like heads down all over the place. And we came back and got a point. And, but other than that, they've lost every single game. And it's just like, I was looking at some of the stats and Newcastle had like 60% possession. They obviously had the majority of the chances. Like Nick Pope, you know, obviously felt massively sorry for him with that injury, but he didn't really have anything to do. No. Like no, no. that was the, that was the one save he had to make. That's why it was an yeah, injury. Exactly. He actually yeah, had yeah. to move. The guy was frozen. <laughs> like... was, but they just there's no like I was looking at like you know how on FOTMOB you can see like the, like the momentum bar of the game. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. United, it's like you look at it and you know Newcastle had sixty percent possession. Like it wasn't you know they didn't have all of the ball, even though it's quite yeah. a significant margin in the Premier yeah. League. But you just looked at it, and it was like Newcastle controlled the game throughout the whole game. And it was like, that game should have been done and dusted by half-time. And it's like, that's the thing with Man United, is that they can't go, especially away from home against top teams, even against, like, you saw they made a meal of beating Fulham a few weeks ago. Yeah. They were lucky in that mm -hmm. game. But they just don't have that ability whatsoever to go and control big games. And I think they're just, they're just not up to it. And there's obviously been a lot of talk about you know, are the players on board? It's that kind of classic Man United. Same again. Yeah. It's, it again. Happens. It's, getting boring. it's like Groundhog Day, isn't it? I think Gary Neville tweeted that. It was just like, yeah. it happens every sort of six months, no matter the manager. But I think the ultimately, I kind of feel like the, the buck kind of stops with him in this. I know there's always other issues going on at Man United, but, you know, you've got a really, you know, a decently talented group of players there and you're just not getting the best out of them. And I think, you know, how where do they go from here? Yeah. Well, Thankfully, there is one man. That's that a beautiful segue. Thankfully, there is one man who is who's who's got the who's got all the solutions to their problems. But we need to go through the keys hole. Ah.
please. It was just phantom. Oh, I've missed it. I've missed That's it. Incredible. Maybe you'll be getting that out, that um, excuse out again. It was just banter. But Adam, thankfully, Richard Keyes has come to the rescue with a five-year plan for Manchester United, which <laughs> usually involves him being paid as CEO, which yeah. is my that's the piece de resistance, I'll be honest. But Adam, walk us through this plan before we go through um Dwight York's reaction. Uh almost spat out my water as I was thinking about it. Um, but yeah, his five-year key role in this is basically he would sack Ten Hag, which most well, people agreed. I'm on board point, with that, one. which is fine. Yeah. As, yeah. But he said if he couldn't get the replacement straight away, that he would bide his time and then make sure he's got someone to directly replace Ten Hag, which which is sensible for Keyes. Sensible, right? yeah. Um, yeah, he lines up his women in the same manner, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. Tom, methodical. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, he would then allude to uh, bringing in or trying to tempt Xabi Alonso and give him a five-year contract at the same time to uh, do as he will and make sure he just brings success. He would give him all the money to support him and it says, it doesn't matter if you screw up in the first season. So basically, if you take us down, don't worry, Xabi. It's fine. We'll we'll, we'll come back up, won't we? We'll be fine. So... Uh, <laughs> That's where the astonishment of uh, Dwight York and his blank expression alongside James, Jason McAteer, like, confused. What the hell is he going if, on about? But If yeah. you make Jason McAteer look like the sensible person in a room, you should <laughs> yeah. know that you are in, either in the wrong room <laughs> or you're saying the wrong thing. Because, Jesus Christ, that's the first time I've ever heard that guy speak any level of sense. Um, but, Ben, can you think of any potential clash of interest for Xabi Alonso joining Manchester United? Surely he'd jump at the chance. Yeah, you'd think so. Like, it's a massive opportunity for him. Why would he not go to Man United? Obviously, it's, you know, <laughs> this is, Ma as Roy Keane would say, this is Manchester yeah. United. And you know what we're talking about. Why would you not? <laughs> exactly. You know, it's just, he's always got the answers, isn't he, Keezy? He knows yeah, what he's, he's talking about. It's just like, yeah, Keezy at the wheel. They'll be absolutely fine. <laughs> exactly. I absolutely love it. Um, yeah, absolutely baffling. But United fans, you know, if you needed a, a, a little bit of hope to hang on to, you can always go out to, um, to Qatar. Uh, what does he what does he call it? The atom that dared to dream. I think is Keezy's quote, <laughs> <laughs> which is just yeah, the guy's incredible. Incredible. Um, but yeah, Manchester United are in a mess. Uh, Marcus Rashford getting a lot of stick. Um, mm. he, he was compared to Anthony Martial, which I genuinely thought was a bit harsh. I was like, oh god, calm down, Cara. Like, let's not go overboard. But watching his performances recently, it's kind of hard to not agree with that a little mm. bit. I think it wasn't even this game. It was the game beforehand, maybe, in the Champions League, was it? Where he just stopped making runs back. Like, the man beat him and he just stood there and kind of yeah. trotted. Um, but as we said, it's just kind of endemic of every player at that club, really. I can't see anyone there who slightly gives a shit. And you're looking at another player like Kobe Mainu, who's really exciting. And, you know, and you just wonder what's going to happen to him. Like Garnacho, you just wonder what where the hell they're going to find themselves. if Because the, the buyout for United is supposed to be this week, but they've been saying that for months. Like, it's just, there's so much uncertainty. But I'm all for it. Good. Let them continue in this inertia. I'm, I'm quite enjoying it. Um, we're going to move on, though, from Manchester United to Newcastle. Um, Adam, which game did we say we were going to do next? I can't remember. General Roundup? I think a general roundup, but the one game I wanted to call out was obviously Nottingham Forest versus Everton. Everton getting their win here on board. Um, and then, as you rightly just brought up on the screen, is Steve Cooper in trouble? Because I was looking at this and it's 
11 games where they've only won two. Um, and it is quite, yeah, drastic, I would say. If you look at the next few fixtures, they are kind of games that are winnable in that respect. Um, but the, there is that kind of feeling that Steve Cooper, if he doesn't get a result on Wednesday night against Fulham, then he will be moved on. Um, I suppose that raises that kind of question of what do you expect Nottingham Forest to do? And do we think Steve Cooper's doing a good job? And I think that's the balance here that we have to achieve because in that first season, he had to bring in a hell of a lot of players, maybe not necessarily his style of players, and somehow grind out results with those blend of players. And you can see in the summer how many he actually had to move on. Um, but I was also looking at this perception that Nottingham Forest are good at home, which is where a lot of their record in terms of staying up in this league is being held up by. But they've only won two games out of the seven. So again, they're not necessarily that solid at home. They've lost the uh, three, I think it's the last three at home as well. One of them, including that Brighton result, um, which they lost when they were in winning position as well. So I think there's a lot of question marks about the way they're playing at the moment. I do, I think Steve Cooper is a good manager. I think maybe it's just a question of, does he just need a lucky break at the moment? Um, but yeah, I'll put that question to you guys as well to debate. I feel like Forrest were unlucky in this game. I know, like, the, yeah. their chairman at Forrest is particularly trigger-happy. Like, he's a bit mad. So I know that, like, because it was last season, they came very, very close to firing Cooper. All yeah. the journalists had basically mm-hmm. been, been told that he'd been fired. And then the next day, it was released that he'd signed a new contract. And it was just like he had a change of heart. So the guy is very, very, very unpredictable. I personally think it would be the wrong decision to sack Steve Cooper. I think... He's doing a good job. Obviously, they're in a bad run of form, but you look at the teams below them, the only one that's creeping up is Bournemouth, who are creeping up. But Forrest to still have a six-point cushion there. I think that's enough there that you can find some time to turn it around. With the teams not sacking their managers, we've, we've just had three international breaks. You've had your chance to sack managers. Running into this hectic Christmas schedule now, which is about to go mad Mm. with a new manager, I just think it's going to make it a lot more difficult for yourself. You might get that initial bounce, but I think, for me, I think it would be the wrong decision. What do you think, Ben? I'd like Cooper. Yeah, I'm with you. I really like Steve Cooper. And like you said, obviously, they came very close to getting rid of him last year. And I think you saw how the Forest fans reacted off the back of that, and they were really happy Mm. that they'd stuck by uh, Steve Cooper, the board... Um, I think he's I really like him he's got like a kind of infectious personality I think he tries mm-hmm. to play <clears throat> excuse me like football in the right way although it's not kind of clicking for them at the moment they've had a difficult run of fixtures they've played a lot of the teams around them and you know they have you know it's funny that the results they have picked up have been beating Villa at home and then beating Chelsea away and obviously they beat <laughs> Chelsea away at the start of the season yeah. when you know Chelsea hadn't quite figured things out and I'm still not sure they have but you know, it was quite two, you know, standout results. It's not like they beat a couple of teams and around them, but that's where they've kind of struggled. And obviously they were unlucky on Saturday night. It was one real moment of quality from Everton mm-hmm. that kind of took the game away with Dwight McNeil. And, you know, obviously they were quite unlucky in the Brighton game a few weeks ago as well. That could have kind of gone their way. Um, but it's 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 really tricky. And I know you mentioned they've got Fulham this week in the week. And you're kind of coming into that period now, like you said, where your chance to sack your manager's gone. I know Sheffield United sacked Paul Heckenbottom today, but they're in a vastly worse situation. And that just didn't show any signs of getting better at all. Whereas Steve Cooper, you always feel like he just needs one game to turn it around. And that's kind of exactly what happened last year. And you see like, and you mentioned it about Nottingham Forest's home form. 
they did in when it mattered last season in the kind of second half of the season they did really make the city ground a bit of a fortress and they picked up a lot of really important results and a lot of that was to kind of do with the general feel-good factor that Steve Cooper has kind of brought about at Forest Mm -hmm. you know they're a great club they've got a great fan base they will always get behind the manager and the players and that's the thing with Forest it's not for the want of trying like you've seen plenty of teams that are in a similar situation to them where players don't look like they're putting in enough effort or or you know whatever like Mm -hmm. it's it doesn't feel like that at all it's just like I thought I thought that their recruitment in the summer was better I thought they kind of figured out the balance of the squad they went maybe a little bit too heavy last year but obviously it ultimately worked and they had a lot of players to replace that were already on loan etc I thought their recruitment was a little bit more refined this year I thought someone like Sangare coming in was a really great buy and he is a great player and I think that just shows that like I think it will I think it will happen for Forest I think they'll be fine and I don't think obviously when you look at it on paper it doesn't look good for Cooper but this is kind of the same situation they were in last year. So I think he's kind of, it should be afforded the time to try and figure it out. If they're still in this position when it comes to March, like you mentioned, they've got a six point buffer now over Bournemouth, who, although they didn't win yesterday, they came very close to beating Villa. And they've kind of been on the charge over the last few weeks, despite a really rocky start that Iriola had, where they couldn't buy a win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. It yeah, just yeah. shows that sometimes all it takes is one result. And I think with, with Bournemouth and Forest, and we mentioned Fulham as well, like, although Fulham put in some poor performances, with those kind of three teams, and with Everton as well, really, or now I've kind of been plunged back into it, but with those kind of four teams, there was always shoot, and Wolves as well, you could kind of lump yeah. into it. Mm-hmm. There was there was always like green shoots there, but with Sheffield United, there just hasn't been that at all. So I think they should I think they should stick with Cooper, and I think I think it will figure things out. And I think if we're, if we're still having the same conversation in two or three months' time, then obviously it becomes a little bit more difficult. But I think yeah, yeah. for now, like... That's the that, it's the guy that fans want in charge, and I kind of had a look like on Twitter and on Saturday and Sunday just to kind of have a look at what the, sort of the sentiment was amongst the fan base, and it's not changed. Like the support for him hasn't really wavered, so I think yeah. he is the guy, and I think he's a good manager with a good football philosophy, and I think it deserves kind of the chance to turn it round. Really, yeah. well, not even turn it round, just like him kind of put them back on the right path. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed for him because I do think he's a really exciting like, young English coach and I hope he gets a fair crack at the whip, but I wouldn't be betting on that chairman. To, well, I wouldn't be betting on yeah. any of his decisions. Um, but elsewhere in the Premier League, super quickly before we go to Italy, Brentford beat Luton 3-1. Brentford putting a bit of a run of form together. Arsenal made it nervy. We were incredible first off. Just could not hit the post, hit the crossbar, hit the post again, but did manage to get a 2-1 win. I really like Mateus Cunha. What a player he is. Um, Burnley absolutely embarrassed Sheffield United 5-0. Oli McBurney with one of the stupidest sendings off of the season. Um, yeah, I could ridiculous. not believe that from a club captain, right? Or vice captain. Um, Heckingbottom looks like that's his last day in charge. Company was, I think he enjoyed that quite yeah. a lot. I was like, yeah, yeah. Company, Sheffield United, eh? Like, yeah. let's, let's <laughs> not be too, too excited about it. Um, Chelsea went mental against Brighton, tried their hardest to throw it away, but managed to hold on. Conor Gallagher, did you see that tackle? Yeah, yeah. that was horrendous. Was I, I didn't really see him as that kind of player, but that was a wild tackle. There was no question whatsoever about that being a red card. Um, Mohamed Kudus scoring again for West Ham, mm-hmm. um, but Edward with a great finish to equal there. West Ham and Palace both a bit uninspiring at the moment. And then as we talked about, Bournemouth very, very nearly beat Aston Villa. Um, Dominic Solanke scoring again, quietly having a very mm-hmm. good season there. But of course, Ollie Watkins in the 90th minute with a glancing header to rescue a point. Um 
lots and lots of goals across the Premier League weekend. It was fantastic. We're going to leave that there before we preview midweek at the end of the show, hopefully, because the, the games are coming thick and, th- thick and fast now. But we need to jump over to Serie A, and there's only one place to start. It was Sunday evening. They always treat us on Sunday evenings. They always save the last, the best games for last, as Inter send a message to the rest of the league. 3-0 at the reigning champion stadium. 3-0 definitely makes it look a little bit more comfortable, but into yeah. a so clinical that Napoli, by the end of it, it was pretty humiliating. Adam, how did you mm-hmm. see this game? Yeah, I mean, as you alluded to, Napoli actually did perform quite well in this match. Um, and, you know, into a kind of on the back foot for a lot of it in the first half, they were kind of reserved, didn't do too much. They kind of sat back to absorb what they, I think, was probably anticipated, if we should say that, because I think Farad Skelia, with his runs as well in particular, was always going to be a threat. Obviously, awesome men being back as well mm-hmm. was going to be huge kind of target man focus as well. So given the depleted nature of the backline for Inter, that was something that they obviously read the room quite well, I think. And I think they just controlled the game tempo as well because that was the interesting bit, especially in the midfield. Um, you know, Napoli were missing Zelinski because of that injury midweek against Real Madrid. Um, but they still had good kind of moments in the game and they were very unlucky. Elmas, who's come into the folds because of Zelinski's injury, had a fantastic effort, mm-hmm. which was tipped by Jan Sommer. So Jan Sommer, interesting stat about him as well. So that's nine clean sheets. He's eclipsed what Onana achieved last season. Now, appreciate it's different circumstances because if you remember, Rory, into a pretty poor last season yes, for the majority of it. And there was some heroics from Onana at times, but that kind of shows you the contrasting seasons that Inter have had already. Um, but yeah, going back to the game, Politano also hits the crossbar in the what first half. My God. I know. If that goes in, then the game dynamic definitely shifts. But Chalonoglu, as we spoke about on our WhatsApp group, water hits, incredibly mm-hmm. clinical. And I was looking at this. I think he is one of the outside of Jude Bellingham, one of the most goal kind of offensive central midfielders that I could see um, inside the top five leagues across Europe. So I think that kind of shows you the quality that Chalanoglu has kind of raised those kind of levels this season. We know what a good player he was, Rory, from last season, but that was epic. And I was trying to think... I was trying to think if there's a player that's gone from a rival team to another team and become such an icon because the Inter fans absolutely love him and he's come up in such key moments fairly consistently. Now, usually with penalties or free kicks, but he's starting to say, as you said, he's starting to add those open play goals. He absolutely ran that midfield. Um, Ben, are you starting to, like, you can see the light with Chalonogli, right? It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, again, he was one of those players that always kind of, there was always so much hype around him when he was a little bit younger, maybe at mm-hmm. um, Leverkusen in Germany before he kind of came over to Italy. And it was like, it, it felt like he never really backed that up. He always had something special in his locker, yeah, whether it was yeah. a goal from outside the box or a free kick. There was always kind of the promise of that quality there, but he never really delivered. But now, like, he's been one of the best midfielders in Europe this season. I don't mm-hmm. think, I mean, we've seen some incredible goals over the last couple of weeks, especially it feels like the best goals of the season in Europe have kind of been crammed in. It's like this two week period, but I don't think you might see a better goal in Garnacho or maybe even uh, McAllister yesterday, but I don't think you'll see a better strike of a ball than that this season. That was so clean. Like I think I always think that that like, it wasn't even really, it was kind of a half volley, but like that on the up, 
just like keep it down. That is the most satisfying kind of goal. Mm-hmm. And he hit it so hard. Yeah. And it was just like <laughs> yeah. in, in, incredible goal. But yeah, Napoli had their chances in the first half. They looked a little bit more like themselves. And I watched the game in yeah. the week in the Champions League and they looked a little bit more like themselves then. And they were just undone by kind of the quality of Bellingham and yeah. that Real Madrid team. And, you know, that's no real disgrace to go there and get beat like that. And it was kind of a bit like the home game where they played against Madrid as well, like mm. when they were kind of on that poor run in the league. But they these performances in the Champions League kind of made you question why they've been quite uninspiring. And, you know, Inter kind of struggled to deal with them in the first sort of half an hour of the game. But then they wrestled, you know, wrestled kind of back a little bit of the grip of the game. And I love the Barella goal as well. Like that, just arriving late in the box like that and to have that composure. Beautiful. Even though Napoli kind of, they their midfield maybe had a bit of the upper hand in the first half, I think with those two goals. What I loved about the, all three goals, actually, it's kind of when you, it's one of those things where like, it's kind of that intangible thing of like, when you look back at the end of the season, those three goals are like goals of champions, I think. Yeah. Because yeah, they yeah. look so like yeah. simple. Like the first goal was a quality strike. And then the second one, Barella just showing that composure of one of the best midfielders in Europe. And then the Taram goal as well, just a really well-worked move. There was nothing, mm-hmm. you know, I guess lucky or fluky about any of them. And it was just real, real, you know, quality. And like you said, they were just clinical, just clinical. And that mm-hmm. is a sign of a really good team. And I think in terms of the Champions League, I've, I've been saying this for a while now. Like, obviously, there was a reason why they got to the final last year. And I genuinely, maybe they won't go that far again, but I think they'll cause a real... I think there's a, some fan bases that are looking at it for the round of 16 thinking you know look at some of the teams we could get i don't think anyone will want to play into milan i think you're quite no, naive no, it's like no. an easy yeah. easy draw or you should expect to beat someone like that because they've been brilliant this mm. season and although they maybe weren't necessarily at their best just there napoli looked a bit more like themselves and were unlucky at points that was just an incisive clinical display yeah. it was it was a clear message with with juve getting the like getting that last gas win after nearly throwing it away in monza i think this was the this was the chance for Inter to be like, right, we need to tell them that we're not going anywhere. And I think we're seeing a team evolve. And, but more importantly, we're seeing a coach evolve. And I feel like in Zaggy, mm. you can see him learning. You can see him learning lessons. And if you look at his record in the big games when he first took over the club, he was losing to Juve. He was losing, losing to Milan. He was losing to all those big battles. And now they just do not lose those games. Like they just turn up and they at least make sure they get a point. And if they don't, they're taking all three. And I feel like Inzaghi is really improving his management. He's still, his in-game management is great. His substitutions usually always work. I think, again, when he first took over, there was a lot of like, why did he make that substitution? His paranoia of taking off players (laughs) once they had a yellow card, no matter who it was at what time. Like, so you can see, but now his substitutions make sense. He manages the game really well. I think De Vrij coming off injured was massive because he's one of the few Mm -hmm. defenders that they have left for one, but also one of the few defenders that can actually progress the ball from defense and like pat it out. But he he, he handled that well, bringing on Augusto, which looked like a weird move, but then just shifted everyone across and Mm -hmm. it worked. And I think, we're really seeing him. He wants this and he's going for mm-hmm. it. And you can see this team absolutely charged. And I think the last thing on this, Barella has had a very slow start to the season. He has mm-hmm. been quiet. Um, he has been hot and cold. That performance was his best performance of the season, without a doubt. Um, that goal, I screamed like a little girl when that goal went in. <laughs> it was just incredible to watch. Um, and yeah, an unbelievable performance. But I think, yeah talking about Napoli very quickly, they did look more like themselves. Mazzari has got them playing that quick football, a bit more attacking. But, and Adam, I'll get your thoughts on this. They feel like Mm -hmm. they're becoming a team that rely on moments. They're not a team that's going to 
be able to dominate any game, really. It's just going to be, can the players we've got come up with quality? Yeah, and it's interesting that Politano came out to the press during the week and said that they didn't perform for Rudy Garcia, like to indicate almost like the players had given up, which was probably very evident to everyone else. Uh, we could tell. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think there's also an element of, there's a lot of the players at the moment that are thinking about their careers right now, whether they want to stay at Napoli. And obviously there's rumours about Zelinski moving on. Osserman's been obviously very much on the cusp for a number of weeks, um, whether he'd be going in January, fingers crossed, Rory, or maybe in the summer. Um, but genuinely, I think there's there's a lot going on in Napoli. De Laurentiis isn't helping the situation either no. with his comments more recently. And I, I don't think necessarily this Mazzari move is a great move. He's going to get kudos because of what he's done previously. But I don't think he's necessarily a long-term kind of project no. with Napoli. And I think what he had there, he just needed to keep the kind of just ticking over, don't piss people off, and De Laurentiis just ruined it. So uh, it was beautifully kind of described as he had the Mona Lisa and then decided to stick something on top of it just to (laughs) kind of make it his own. Um, So, yeah, I I just think Napoli are at that moment in time where it it was all there. The ingredients were there, but he just screwed it up, unfortunately. Yeah, well, it looks like that team's going to fall apart. As you said, Zielinski... Of course, on a free, looks like he's going to be going to Inter because Inter do the best business on free transfers. Um, he's apparently being chased by Roma as well, but I feel like he might yeah, go I think to it's Inter. more Inter. I don't know if you um, saw at the end of the match, he was going uh, kind of covering his mouth when he was yeah. talking to Barella and there was just oh. deep conversation. Jelinski in that Inter midfield. Oh my days. That is, yeah. <laughs> that could that be is, special. That yeah. is, that is, that's quite exciting. But yeah, the Alliances is doing his best to, to pull apart this team, isn't he? And I think Napoli fans are pretty pissed off. But as we said, this has been a, the toughest of tough starts for Matsadi. He's not had a game to actually be like, you know, no. let's try and Atalanta away, Real Madrid away, and then Inter at home. And they've got you. And now Juventus. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. that is a pretty rough start. So I feel like we need to give him a little bit of slack or cut him a little bit of slack. But um, yeah, not 3-0 makes it look pretty bad. Um, mm-hmm. But we're going to leave that there and we're going to go for Juve against Monza classic Juve it looks like they've thrown it away but somehow they managed to grab the win and Mm. Gatti of all people we've given him a bit of props this year another massive moment for the big man as he gets the winner um Juve scored two goals Ben how surprised are you I couldn't believe it (laughs) I mean it's one of those things you kind of we've said it before but like you come to expect that kind of like pragmatic almost approach from Juve and it's like it's one of those especially you know for Monza to equalize in the 90th minute and then to go again and get the winner it kind of just felt a bit uncharacteristically Mm -hmm. it kind of almost felt like a bit like the old Juventus but not the Juventus we've seen the last few years so I was quite surprised but you know for them to do that kind of just even further maybe establishes the credentials that they do have even though I think Inter look more more comfortable yeah. With that kind of pressure, I think in almost like being in the box seat, I think into bear in mind they you know they won the title a couple of years ago. Like they've they've kind of they're happy to wear that on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. But I think Uve kind of look like the team that are almost like you always see it in title races, even where at this early stage of the season, you always see the leader of the pack that just kind of feels comfortable with that pressure. But Uve are constantly make up the ground. I kind of feel like you'll see that pattern through the rest of the season. But I think eventually there'll be games where they won't necessarily get away with it mm-hmm. like they did maybe in Monza and left it that late. 
you know, if you're doing that, it kind of maybe raises more questions than answers. But again, like another really positive result for them and they're right on Inter's tails. It's, it is intense. They've got literally the same, like four wins in the last five and the only points they've dropped were against each other. Like it yeah. is like they are going blow for blow and Juve do feel a little bit inevitable at this point. There's just like constantly on the horizon. They're just there. Um, but a great win for them. Monza, as we know, is not an easy place to go. Monza's home record is very, very good. Um, and once they got that uh, late equalizer, it did look like they were going to throw it away, but Juve did rescue it at the end. But we're going to move on and we're going to go for Adam. Just when we thought he was out, he's back in. Pioli manages to pull it out of the fire. Now, Ben, you're you're kind of new to this podcast, but what you'll realize is no matter what we say, the opposite happens, right? It's the Anglo-Italian curse. It's just we, we've got a knack. It's a natural talent. We said, pile on Frosinone getting a win here. And Milan won 3-1 because, of course, they did. Um, yeah. Adam, was it convincing? Do you think this is this is enough or it's just a game they should be winning? Oh, you're on mute. Sorry about that. I was going between this game and the Newcastle game so because it was kind of bit poor in bits, mm. it has to be said. It wasn't the most entertaining game. The one highlight I will pull out for this game, fantastic kind of through ball by Mike Banyan to Pulisic for the second goal. And the way Pulisic takes that goal was absolutely incredible. Just the quality on it. it just If you want to kind of see a sexy version of route one football that was it that was so mm. beautiful because he kind of grabs the ball he touches it delightfully pushes it onto his right hand uh, right foot and then chips the goalkeeper it was delightful definitely recommend people if they haven't seen that goal please review it on youtube it was delightful to watch but another man that we kind of curse is jovic and Luka jovic <laughs> scores he scores on this of occasion course he, he, does. he was a good, he was good. And mm -hmm. Tomori had a fantastic game as he ever does for Milan at the moment, uh, scoring from the corner. So, um, yeah, quite convincing in the end, it has to be said, against Frosinone. Frosinone, a bit disappointing on the night, it has to be said, I think, Rory. So, mm -hmm. unfortunately, we didn't see that performance of Frosinone from the previous weeks where they've looked really threatening with Sule as well, in particular, but not on this occasion, it's fair to say. It wasn't to be, but Pioli manages to live for another week. I feel like, you know how rival fans are, are glad when United pick up a 1-0 win because it means <laughs> Ten Hag stays in the yeah. job. I feel like people feel the same Purely, way yeah. about Pioli. Odds of Inter fans are like, ah, yes, that'll, get, that'll give him another couple of weeks. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. As long as he's in the job, he's not like, they're not troubling anyone. Um, but yeah, uh, three points to three points. And we need to move on to, uh, even though we're going doing this super quickly, Roma are sneaking up on people. Mm. Adam, tell us about their form. They are now in fourth place and nobody is talking about it. Yeah, I'm going to try and pull up this stat in question. But essentially, uh, Roma find themselves third in the form guidebooks at the moment where they are just behind the lights of uh, Inter and Juventus. Uh, they've got something like 26 points out of the last 11 games. Uh, we joked about, obviously, Shose's comments about away from home, they're missing Nonna's, uh, like, cooking, right? And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. clearly on this occasion, they didn't need it. They uh, really, I suppose they had the fair share of the chances against Sassuolo. Sassuolo take the lead. Um, it was for Buradi's kind of misplaced shots. 
goes to Enrique and he taps in. But then from then onwards, it just felt like it was Roma coming on to them. And inevitably, they scored through a penalty through Dybala. And then Christiansen, that right back that was at Leeds, doing nothing for the majority Remember of the him? season. <laughs> yeah. Um, he comes out with a bit of a banger. It has, I know it's deflected, but for his standards, I would say, yeah, fantastic. Um, but yeah, Lukaku again has endless opportunities and misses. So there's a common theme there. Um, so surprise, surprise. But yeah, like I say, they're doing incredibly well here, Rory. They are mm-hmm. absolutely dominant, and I'm struggling to find this stat while we're speaking. No, but I was just—I couldn't I, take you and tell you it, they are third in this yeah. good books. Anyway. Exactly, they are third behind Inter and Juve, and it's yeah. kind of come from nowhere, hasn't it? It's come from absolutely nowhere. Um, we do have to say, Sassuolo definitely gave him a hand by uh, Bolocca, Bolocca, Bolocca. I'm not sure. Yeah. He got sent <laughs> off in the 63rd minute. I'm going to go for Bolocca. Why not? Uh, he got sent <laughs> off in the 63rd minute, which helped. But Sassuolo is just. The most unpredictable team. Um, and we're going to finish with two draws. Um, now, no, stick with us. Um, the first one, I watched this, Lecce versus Bologna. A hundredth minute equaliser from Lecce. <laughs> um, it really, and a beautiful free kick from Lico Janis uh, for Bologna. Really mm. just, the keeper was stood at one end. You know, they just stick it directly in the opposite corner. There's just no yeah. way you can get it. Really beautiful hit. But Lecce refused to die. Um, in the 100th minute, got a penalty. The goalkeeper won the penalty. That was it. Falcone <laughs> in Falcone, the box. Yeah. Unbelievable. A penalty. And Lecce got the equaliser. It was absolutely incredible game. I really do enjoy watching Lecce as the, I'm making sure the missus <laughs> can't hear me. Exactly. <laughs> She's very angry. Um, and we do need to finish with um, Adam. It's their best draw of the year. <laughs> yes, it was. Udinese <laughs> 3, Verona 3. They've, they've treated us to some fasti- some fantastic draws, but this is the best of all. This was the best one ever. I think their <laughs> fans will be gutted that they didn't get all three points, but they'll have to stick with another point, Rory, here. Um, yeah, some fantastic goals by Lorenzo Luca, who they brought in from Ajax. Um, so, yeah, again, he's starting to prove his worth. I think they're getting some consistency. Cabasele as well, fantastic mm-hmm. kind of back post kind of to finish as well. But inevitably, they let in Hellas Verona. And Verona haven't been particularly brilliant. I I said a few weeks ago, I think it was very evident that they're going to go down. Um, But on this showing, they brought themselves back into it. And uh, our friend Thomas Henry turns up to score the equaliser after some good moves in this match. I have to say, I think it's the second goal for Hellas Verona that was, in in particular, was it an Mm -hmm. overhead kick? Or yes, say, yeah, yeah, overhead yeah. kick again. Yeah, yeah. So definitely go out and watch that one because that one was incredible. Just the finish and the technique on that was just out of this world. And Gog, that's what it was. Yeah, and he was playing yeah. against me in Falta Calcio this week. I was fuming when I saw that go in. So where's that come from? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely unbelievable. Um, what a hit. But yeah, Verona before this had scored nine goals all season. <laughs> like Udinese <laughs> allowing them to get three is a bit mad. But that now puts Udinese on one win, four losses, and nine draws. I think I'm going to have to look at what the record is in the Serie A season because <laughs> they are going for it. They're still only two points above the relegation zone. So they genuinely need to start turning these draws into wins well, at some yeah. point. The squad has so much quality and it's just... It feels like I didn't think they'd be missing Beto this much because he's not being used at Everton. It feels like a disaster <laughs> yeah. move all over that one. Yeah. But they're missing him. 
Um, obviously, Samadzic, his head was turned heavily mm. in the summer. He's not yeah. having as big an impact. But there's still so much um, talent in that squad. I hope they do manage to stay up um, because it's a, it's a great like finishing school and a great place for like young talents to come through. Um, and then finally, Fiorentina 3, Salernitana 0. Just mm. as Italiano needed a lifeline, Salernitana rocked up, fresh from beating Lazio, uh, and willingly got battered. Um but Bonaventura, of course, scoring again. Um, Beltran with a penalty and Sotil getting a goal and assist. Yeah, Let's see him pretty good coming goal. back yeah. into form. Um, and that is all of the Serie A action. I think Torino are currently beating Atalanta 2 0. 2 0, yeah. Sanabria scored and I started Skamaka ahead of him. That's very annoying. Um, <laughs> God damn it. Um, Adam, do you want to take us through Premier League action midweek and we can preview some games? Yeah, bear with me. Uh, I'll need to bring that up because I wasn't expecting that little t- caveat Sorry, there. So bear with me. Yeah, yeah, I do apologise. So I'm going to be a bit slow, yes, with this. Bring it up. So just bear with. So tomorrow we have got Wolves taking on Burnley uh, and Luton Town versus Arsenal. Hmm. Then if we move into Wednesday's game, we've got Brighton taking on Brentford. Crystal Palace taking on Bournemouth, Fulham taking on Nottingham Forest, Sheffield United versus Liverpool, Aston Villa versus Man City. That could be the big game. And then we've also got Man United versus Chelsea to see who could be less sensible than the other, I suppose. And then uh, (laughs) Thursday, we've got Everton versus uh, Newcastle and Spurs taking on West Ham. What a weekend. Beautiful. Ben, any, any games you're looking forward to there beyond Tottenham West Ham? Yeah, I mean, Villa City is kind of the standout one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, that, especially again, like we like you said, with no Rodri for for City, he's suspended. Grealish suspended as well. But Rodri is obviously the bigger miss. So it'll be interesting to see if they can kind of go there and have that kind of... We've seen it in games without Rodri. I think they didn't have Rodri against you at the Emirates, did they? Or there was a couple of other yeah, games as well. And it was, yeah. there, there, is, there is an obvious... For all the quality that City have got, going forward and that is kind of an embarrassment of riches across that front line who regardless of who plays without Rodri they aren't the same and Villa you know obviously not the best performance at the weekend against Bournemouth it felt like that could have easily gone the other way and obviously Watkins coming up with a 90 odd minute equaliser so but and I think Villa especially at home will be bang up for that as well to kind of really cement their place as challenges for the Champions League and who knows potentially even beyond that but I think um, that's probably the standout game. I think Man United against Chelsea, it's like, on paper, it's like, that seems enticing, but I'm, I'm pretty sure like they're on at the same time. It's the Amazon week, isn't mm-hmm. it? So it's like, there's games that are on at half seven and then quarter yeah. past eight. I'm not yeah. sure like if they're if those two clash, but like that feels like, Villa City feels like the game to watch. I think um, Sheffield United and Liverpool, I think that'd be really interesting to see how Liverpool, I think Liverpool could really put them to the sword without like, obviously kind of who knows who's going to be in charge of Sheffield United by that point. So it's like, it'd be interesting to see that. Um, Luton-Arsenal, I think, will be interesting because I think, obviously, you'd imagine Arsenal's going to win, but Luton will be... Quite nervous about it. Yeah. Quite nervous about it. Feels maybe a little bit of a banana skin, that one, doesn't it? I mean, The second they got promoted, I was like, well, we're going to lose at Kenilworth Road. (laughs) I've already accepted that. Someone someone has to, don't they? Yeah, exactly. So why not us? Why not yeah. us? Um, I would say about Manchester United Chelsea, that game is always nil nil or one one. It's just a yeah, worst especially at game Old Trafford in... as well. It's always yeah. Bad. Mm, it's yeah. always terrible. So I would say avoid that one and two bloody shite teams. Um, but yeah, I think we're gonna leave that there. I think Everton Newcastle as well is gonna be a bit of a, a bit of a mad one, but yeah. um, we're gonna leave that there. Thank you for joining us, guys. Thank you for joining us again, Ben. Great to have you back as yeah, always. Of course. Um 
if you well even if you didn't like the show um hit, hit the like <laughs> and subscribe button do us a favor um and we will be back on friday uh to review all the midweek action talk about the premier league action it's coming up to christmas guys it's about to get busy are we ready mm, yeah yeah lots so of here, football it's Jam gonna back. be madness well thank you very much guys you can find us on twitter at italian anglo pod on instagram and tiktok at anglo italian pod um and we'll see you on friday thanks guys ciao ciao Podcast Network.